When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibbyverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z ZIBBY 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out, Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Dana Brown is the author of Dilettante, True Tales of Excess, Triumph, and Disaster. 
Dana is the former deputy editor of Vanity Fair, where he was responsible for hundreds of feature stories on topics ranging from geopolitics to business, pop culture to crime, and high society scandal to the art world, a number of which were recognized by the National Magazine Awards. He has also written and developed films and television pilots for Miramax, Hulu, AMC, Imagine Entertainment, and CBS. He lives in New York City. Welcome, Dana. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Dilettante, True Tales of Excess, Triumph, and Disaster. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So you may not know this, but the summer of my freshman year of college, I interned at Vanity Fair. It's oh, wow. Okay. okay. And I remember you being there and running around the office because I was like, who is that guy? <laughs> That's like, so funny. And I guess now it was like, you know, you had just started the year before. So when I saw your book come out, I was like, oh my gosh, was that the guy who was like Graydon Carter's assistant when I was at Vanity Fair for that summer? What a small world. Oh anyway. my God, that's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. I was part of like the, you know, every summer they had this like rotating. Yeah, group. yeah. So yeah. I got to go through oh, no every, way. every Did, department. No, look, now let me ask you a question. Was it a good experience? Was it a valuable experience? Did you have fun? It was a good experience. Yeah. It's so funny, though, because you had a line in here that was like exactly how I felt about it. Wait, hold on. I want to find it. With there being kind of no path to being yeah. an author. Wait, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, you said there wasn't a lot of upward mobility at Vanity Fair. You were either an assistant or an editor of some sort, and there wasn't much daylight in between. It was hard to make that leap to the next level, easy to get caught in the middle. And I hadn't had the experience of working directly with a text editor like the other assistants or the foundation of an education and a degree in history or literature. The institutional knowledge I'd accrued was useful and I was overflowing with it, but that wasn't enough to carry me on to carry me to the next level. Yeah, it was like this, that was like the story of my life for like a, almost a decade, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually, but, I have, I have a, a memoir that comes out very soon called Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature. And I have like three pages all about my time at Vanity Fair and how I couldn't, I couldn't get, I was like, after the first day there, I was like, okay, there is no path. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I am filing author contracts. I am not going to be an author if I stay here. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, it was really true back then. I mean, I don't know if it's true anymore. I think maybe they're, they're uh, you know, I think that's been such a huge shift in the business is like, is like the older people, and I'm including myself among this, like, we don't know what's going on with technology. You know what I mean? And so we need these kids to be, to tell us, be like, no, 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 you have to be on TikTok. And we're like, what's TikTok? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so true. I remember, and I don't know, maybe you were at this meeting too, but there was a big panel discussion on the internet and how it would affect magazines at Condé oh, Nast. Wow. And everyone I don't was remember like, this. no, it'll be fine. Like, we don't have to worry about it, but like, FYI, this is coming and blah, blah, blah. And I was like sitting there in the boardroom being like, oh, yeah, okay. And now like, there are basically no more magazines. It's like no, the saddest thing it, ever. It, yeah. it, it like decimated the magazine population in, in two decades. We It's so funny because we did, uh, there was a guy who was at VF for a little while named Toby Young, mm -hmm. who yes. wrote that book I, about, yeah. Did you so have- So good. So, uh, no, no, it was I so. It was, on, but his book was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, his book. I mean, it was his book came out like twenty years ago, I think. So it no, would make but sense. I read it. It was yes. like 
how to, uh, how to alienate, how to, how to lose friends and alienate people. Yes, he funny. wrote like a charticle in like 95 or 96. And Toby's a great guy. He was really talented and ended up going back to the UK and, and becoming, I think, a pretty, pretty successful restaurant critic. But he had done one of those little like humorous charticles comparing the internet to the CB radio of the 70s <laughs> and how it was basically the modern version of that. And it was just like totally taking the piss out of the internet. And I look back at that now and I'm like, oh boy, we, we pissed off the internet and it came after us. And it was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> you and Toby Young. Absolutely. Taking down the magazine world. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I read your book with, with so much interest from this particular vantage point, but I would have been interested in it regardless because you lived through as, I mean, I, I left magazines after that one summer, but you stayed and like showed us what it was all like and all the twists and turns and even your sort of in-depth description of how you even were plucked from obscurity to do this job in the first place. Why don't you, can you tell listeners a little bit about how you were just at this like, you know, industry hotspot? And yeah, I, I, of course. It's sort of, it's funny because it's, it's, I ran into somebody of my generation and I guess your generation who had been at Vanity Fair with me back then and, and they read the book and they'd known some, some of my backstory, but, but she said to me, she was like, boy, She's like, when you told me you're writing a book, I was like, what's he going to write about? What's it going to be like? And she said, but nobody could have really told this story in the way that you did, because because I was like I, literally the only person that came in this way. I'll, I'll try to be brief, but I, I was I was like a total screw up as a kid. You and don't have to I, be brief. You don't have I, to be brief. This is I, your this is your episode. Okay. <laughs> you can like this what you want. By the way, thank God because I'm terrible at being brief. So like <laughs> you know, being brief for me. But I was really sort of I was I was you know I was 21 years old in in the spring of 1994. I was working behind the bar of a restaurant called 44. I was mostly a bar back, but occasionally I was I was bartending and 44 was was like the media media fashion hotspot like lunch and dinner and and drink place and it was a it was a restaurant in the lobby of the Royalton Hotel on 44th Street kind of right around the corner from Condé Nast's building at 350 Madison. And the owner of the restaurant was a guy named Brian McNally, who, who was very good friends with Anna Winter and Graydon Carter and Tina Brown. And he was just part of that, of that world as a restaurateur. He'd opened Odeon in the early 80s with his brother Keith, who also went on to, to sort of fame and fortune in, in the restaurant business in New York. And, and the Condé Nast editors would hire Brian and his staff to come and cater their, how, their the parties and dinners that they would have at their houses and apartments. And I was sort of added to this crew for just for Graydon's for some reason. I, I it wasn't I'd never I was never trusted to go to, to the Anna Winter or Tina Brown uh, events. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Graydon noticed me at these things and called Brian one day and said, I want to interview that kid. I'm looking for a new assistant. Which I, when Brian called me, and I'd never barely spoken to Brian, I was like, you know, I was like a nobody. You know, he left a message on my answer machine at home and said, you know, give me a call. And I was like, oh my God, I'm fired. What did I do? Like, I had, there was no other reason why Brian would have called me at home. So he called me and told me that that Graydon Carter wanted to interview me, that he had he had seen me working at these events and thought I looked like a hard worker and humble and 
and so I got this interview and, and it was kind of absurd. And I, you know, I, I, again, I, I went to college for like three weeks before realizing like, oh, this is just a waste of time and money. You know, I was really sort of lost. I was playing music. I was playing in bands. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, the whole shape of my life. I was like, uh, you know, I was 21. So I went in on this interview. I, I didn't know how to tie a tie. I had my brother tie a tie for me and I borrowed a suit from him. And I got this job. I got this coveted job at Condé Nast and at Vanity Fair, which at the time, I, I mean, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was like everyone wanted to be in the magazine business. Like the magazine business was, was like, it would be like going to work for like, Netflix if there was a, like Netflix or like even Goldman Sachs. Like it was, it yeah. was the place to be. And, and it was the place to go craft a career and it was exciting and it was fun and it was glamorous and it was upscale. And, and magazine editors were really like, like the most important cultural figures in in New York, if not the nation, you know, they just held so much power. And these 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 little books that would arrive in the mail every month, you know, around the country and around the world, were so important because it was the only link people had to culture in the outside world in this pre-internet age. And so you would go to this thing for everything. You would I go love, to I love that you even have to explain this, by the way. I know. It's sort of sad. It's sort of sad, <laughs> but I kind of feel like I do. No, you're right. You do. I, I, I talk to young, you know, I talk to, to young friends and and you know, most of them are are adjacent to the business and 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 my nieces and nephews and stuff, and they sort of get it, but not really. It's just become a different thing. But there was if you wanted to be in touch, you had a stack of monthly magazines either arriving or you went to a newsstand as if it was a bookstore and you would look around and you would buy, you know, maybe you, you, you would bring 30 bucks with you. And if you could afford that, like English magazine that was yeah. that cost twelve dollars versus yeah. three ninety nine and you would just walk out with your stack and it would sit next to your bed for a month until the next stack came. And then your apartment was littered with piles of magazines everywhere. And it, it was it was a really sort of exciting time for magazines. Yep. So and anyway, so people's careers. I mean, when you guys, when Vanity Fair would pick the new establishment or yeah. Hollywood issue or whatever, and these ingenues would appear, yeah. you know, all Andy Leibovitz out, like that was life changing. Yeah. That was like. I, you know, Zibby, it's funny. I, 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 somebody reviewed my book in Canada, and it was one of the first book reviews that came out. And so I was so excited to read it. And he used the phrase, he said, magazines made the weather. Mm. And that's exactly right. It was like, like magazines were everything. They made the weather. They, they, like whatever was going to happen in the next, you know, weeks or month, it was like, it was in these things and you could unlock it. And, and it was sort of a journey to find yourself. Like, what am I interested in? What are my likes? What am I? And that was sort of like a big part of it. You know what I mean? Totally. Totally. Wait, but go back for a second, if you don't mind, because you wrote about your childhood and sort of not really feeling like you fit in. Hold on. I wanted to read this one passage. Well, you also talked about how not how you turn to books, but also turning to drinking, which I have to say is also in my book. Yes. Um, the second thing a sensitive, introspective and lonely teenager discovers after books is drinking, quickly followed by drugs, which were harder to get your hands on than booze or a book. They don't sell drugs at the library, although in the 1980s, they did sell drugs in Bryant Park right behind the New York Public Library. So you had to work your way up to that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, growing up as sort of a shy, quieter 
kid, you were the youngest of four yeah. and feeling like you just kind of got lost. Like, I feel like this is totally not my place. Like you probably have some sort of learning disability because you're obviously super bright, right? You just like, you know. I, it's, you know, it's funny you say that because I did, I, I've and, and by the way, I like without going through like therapy for years, <laughs> I would have never like stumbled on any of this stuff or been comfortable writing about it, like trying to figure out my own head. But yeah, I think, you know, I think it's pretty common actually for kids to like, I, I, what I discovered, and, and yes, maybe I had ADHD, which which wasn't really a defined thing back then. They didn't really know what it was. And I don't even know if my parents would have would have put me on, on Ritalin or whatever it is that everyone seems to be on now. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just couldn't find my place in the world. I wasn't like good at anything. I wasn't a really good athlete. I was terrible in school. I couldn't draw. Like I could kind of play music passably, but not really. So, so I really struggled to like find my place in the world. And, and, and that does a lot of times lead to the sort of like, oh, I'm, I'm the shy guy at a party with my friends and I'm sort of sitting in the corner and like, okay, I'll have a beer. And then it's like, oh, Okay, like I can now talk to people and then and then drugs make an appearance. And I think this is an incredibly common trajectory for a lot of people who and and unfortunately, a lot of times this leads to a lot of issues. Like if you don't deal if you don't figure it out and deal with it like later in life, it really comes back to sort of bite you and haunt you. But it, weirdly, it sort of gave me a foundation of like like I could drink when I was a kid. And it really helped me at Vanity Fair because it was like that was the business that like there was a lot of drinking. And if you could keep up with like the, with with the, the with the older folks, it was like they were like, oh, wow, he's, you know, like crazy enough. I stumbled in the one business where it was going to help me, <laughs> which is kind of absurd. It's kind of absurd. But but it also, you know, Vanity Fair, uh, again, it's like. 21 is really young. Like, mm -hmm. 21 is really young when I walked into that place and as lost and out of place as I felt in the world. And I felt that at Vanity Fair, too, when I started, because I didn't know how to do anything. I was really just, like, like an empty vessel. But it became my place. Like, it became the place where I found myself. And it became the place where I sort of began to discover things that I was good at. And 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 I had found a place where I fit in because it was full of like weirdos. It wasn't it wasn't like going to work at a bank or a real estate agency. It was like full of weird like like fashion weirdos and like poetry weirdos and and film nerds and pop culture geeks and music writers and you know it really was it was like the the island of misplaced toys. And I really sort of found myself fitting in there, which was kind of kind of an amazing. And that's and that's that's a big part of the book is, you know, it's this coming of age, coming of age story and tale of sort of finding yourself and, and finding yourself. And mine just happened to be at this this magazine this in, in, in the 90s. And of course, I ended up staying there for almost 25 years. Unbelievable. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do you think you're good at now? What do I think I'm good at now? I, you know, nothing really. <laughs> and this is something I will again discuss with my therapist on Wednesday at noon. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm good at anything. No, I've cut, you know, what's funny is I, I, I have never, I'd never written, I'd written before little things for the magazine over the years I'd never written a book before. I'd never written about myself at length like this. And and it, it was a similar process to, to that. Like, I really, really liked it. And I think I really quickly found a writing voice. Mm -hmm. I think... I'm really comfortable writing like like that that you, you discover like that's what a writer is. A writer is someone who expresses themselves in words because they can't express themselves in any other way. And so I I I'm going to pat myself on the back and say, you know, I think I am actually a pretty good writer and it is it is the medium where I'm most comfortable in and whether that's a book and I I write screenplays and 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 television shows also and I feel really, really comfortable. I mean, it's hard, and, and I'm not always motivated, but I feel really comfortable sitting there with just, like, an open, like, word or final draft document, just sitting there, like, writing a, a scene or a chapter. So I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay at that. And by the way, this is this is progress in my life. So it, it is progress. It's that's great. It's you know, having gone on this journey with you, I feel yeah, like proud yeah. that you're able to even. Admit no, that's very kind of you. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, I I often say that you know the thing that links writers the most. I feel like is that everyone has this like underlying anxiety disorder or something, and like this this deep observation, and it comes out somehow through the keys. Whereas 100%. It's amazing to me. And this is really, I, I really just discovered this about myself in the last sort of three or four years. And it's, I mean, you know, it's never too late, you know, it's never too late to figure this stuff out. Late. But I really like, I mean, I hate writing, but I love having written. And so I can sort of put in the time doing it now. And it's, it's sort of enjoyable. And how are you in terms of like keeping in touch with the Vanity Fair crew? Like, what is that? How are they all? How are they all still in your life, if at all? Like, what are the relationships? I, well, you know, first of all, the the it's so strange to have have two years of our life or two and a half years taken away from us and not being in touch with these people. Although then I realized like I haven't been in touch with like family members and really close friends in two years. You know, we're a pretty tight group actually. Uh, I'm still in touch with a lot of people. You know, part of the reason is, is Graydon Carter went off and he, he started a digital magazine called Airmail, yep. which, which feels, which feels like Vanity Fair. I mean, it, it's a very, it's basically a digital version of his Vanity Fair in many ways, although I don't think he has the the budgets that he once had. And and there are a lot of Vanity Fair people that work there. 
And so I will occasionally write for them. And so I know, like I, I, I was, I did a restaurant re review for them a couple of weeks ago and I got the copy edit back and I recognized like a few of the, like the things that the copy editor like suggested. And I was like, I know exactly who did this and tell him no. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean and, and it's a dear old friend of mine, but it was like, and, and maybe you'll appreciate this, but it was, it was changing any any uses of the word like to such as, mm. which is like my one pet peeve in writing. I hate such as hate more such than as anything. Too. And it's like, it's well, it's just like super. It's because just no like, one says it. No one no, says and it's, it. It's so antique. It yeah. just feels so like, you know, like you would see it in an old New Yorker or yes. something. Anyway, but I, I knew exactly who copy edited it and sent a sort of funny, nasty note. So so we, we're very, very much in touch. A, a lot of us, you know, people gone on to do really interesting things. Wow. What restaurant did you review? So there was a, a pop-up of the, the famous restaurant from, from Copenhagen called Noma. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there was a like super expensive pop-up in Brooklyn for like a week, about three weeks ago or a month ago. So I went and I did that. Um, and it was really, it was actually really fun, like reviewing restaurants, something I've always wanted to do but it just doesn't, it's not the sort of thing that just lands on your lap. And this sort of landed on my lap. I was like, yep, I'm in, I'll do it. What do you think would have happened if Graydon hadn't have picked you? I, you know what? I, I think something would have come along. I really do. I, it's funny. I was kind of a, like, I'm, I'm not a believer in anything really, but I do, be, I do believe like a little bit in fate and, and, I think something would have come along and I don't know what that would have been, but I, but I feel like in that era and maybe it's different now, maybe it's the same. I think people like did take chance. Like you hear these stories of like, yeah, I got hired at the whatever, you know, I think people would take chances on people, you know, re resume and education aside, they would be like, this kid's got, you know, even thinking like an old Preston Sturgis movie or something like this kid's got hustle. This kid's got moxie, bring him on board. Like, you know what I mean? I, I feel like there are versions of that story. I think something would have come along. I, I mean, God, I hope, I hope. I'm sort of glad I, I, I don't have to live in that alternate universe because it could have gone really bad. Well, now that you're an author too, what advice would you have for aspiring authors? Right now you've gone through the process. And by the way, I know Pamela Cannon well, who you, uh, oh, your editor. She's I mean, God wonderful. bless Pam Cannon. Like she's, <laughs> uh, she's, she is a lifesaver. And I, honestly, this book would not have, have been readable without her. She really sort of saved the day. Well, advice, advice. I, I, you know, first of all, find writers you love like just find and 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 I think that's that's obvious and I think people who really like to read find that and they find that 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 writer that just 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 connects with them in some way whether it's the way they lay out a story whether it's the turn of phrase whether it's the use of language find writers you love and really get to know the rhythm of writing and and just get to know I mean that helped me a lot is just like, you know, and obviously I worked with a lot of writers. I read, you know, I was reading everything because you sort of were always on the lookout for new young writers. Find what really connects with you because I think that helps find your own voice when you sit down to write. And, and I, you know, it's, God, it's, it's just going to sound so cliche, <laughs> but you're going to fail a lot before you succeed. Like you just, you never know. 
you know, I I know writers who have sort of found their voice out of frustration because they were trying to 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 fit their writing in, into a box that they thought would work in the marketplace, or that they were writing for this magazine, so they would sort of tone it down and and do it in the style of that magazine. There's something really freeing about finding your own voice and writing in your own style and writing in your own way that you can't be afraid of. Like you have to embrace it because that's the thing that's you that you're putting on the page. And and yeah, you need to sort of shut out the noise and and just go for it, you know. But but I do think I think it's really important to spend time getting to know writing, you know, reading, reading everything, you know, you know, going back to to Joyce or whatever and Hemingway, but also modern young writers and and just like understand like, oh, I can be original and I can write my own style in my own way and I can break rules. And and I think that's really important because I think I think a lot of writers feel like kind of stuck in in little boxes. They're sort of forced on this one path. And and I don't think there is one path. It's not a one size fits all kind of thing for writers. So true. I know I experimented a lot with writing because like a lot of writers can write in lots of styles, right? Like yeah. I'm like, I can write like a first person present tense of course. literary thing. I'm going to write a whole book like that. And I'm like, okay, but like, that's not really me. Do you know, like, yeah, I can yeah. do it. Well, like, and, and, and I'm sure, and, and again, I don't know because I didn't go to school for writing, but I'm sure they teach you everything. I'm sure they teach you, you know, every single style of writing and like, okay, do this in third time, do this from this character, do this third person, do this, whatever. And, and it doesn't necessarily make sense for you. Like when you sit down to write a story, you need to sort of write the way your mind is sort of pulling you in. And it's really important to let go and let it just pull you and let it take you. And you will know what that is and when it's working because you will just be like, oh my God, that's great. Oh my God, that's great. Oh my God, that's great. And you will sort of not be able to stop once you know, it's just, it's like a racetrack that you, you accidentally get in the right car and it's fast and you're like, whoa, I, I can't believe I can go this fast. <laughs> and that it could be more fun. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's like, I don't know, like wearing the wrong size shoes or something. Like you can yes. do it, but it's not going to feel good. No, no, exactly. And you'll, it takes, you'll and get it, where it, you're going. But. Yeah, you'll get where you're going, but you're going to have blisters. Yeah. Yeah. Blisters. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> what is your next writing project? And also what are you reading right now? What am I reading? You know, I'm reading, I I had so many amazing assistants over the years and they were all so much smarter than me and like better writers than me, like better everything. Like I, I used to hide behind their talent and pretend, I'd be like, oh, do you mind writing this paragraph on this thing for the, you know, for the thing? But so an old roommate, uh, roommate an old assistant of mine, a guy named Julian Sancton, wrote a book and he's going to kill me because I, I I'm finally getting around to it about a year after it was published. It's called Madhouse at the end of the earth. Oh, that's a good and time. it was, it was a, it was this sort of like disaster of a, like an, of a Arctic journey that these three guys took. I think it was in the late 1800s. So, so late 19th century. And I think like one of them was a con artist. One of them was a real explorer. And, and it's sort of this wonderful, I love contained stories. I love stories. You know, it all takes place on this one boat for the most part. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a challenge as a writer, you know, whether you're writing for the screen or a book, like, okay, you're stuck in this one place. How do I pull the reader out of here at different points seamlessly? And he does such a great job at that. And I've been sort of super into that book the past few weeks. And again, he's going to kill me because it's taken me a year to get to it. 
it. And I think I've ignored his text, like, have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? Have you read it yet? <laughs> um, so I can soon be able to text him back and be like, yes. And then I'm, I'm, you know, A, I'm, I'm hunting around for the next book idea, which is like a complete nightmare because <laughs> I don't know. It's like once you've written a memoir, you know, and and if you're somewhat successful, at least in getting your story down, you will have publishers knocking on your door, being like, "So, what do you want to do next?" And if if you've if you've done the memoir already, you're like, "Okay, I can't go back there. What can I do, like non nonfiction, and like what are people interested in, and what are people talking about?" So I'm sort of on the hunt for that, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. I wrote a movie dur- during COVID that I actually got to, I wrote and produced it and it is like just about finished. So I'm very excited about that. I think we're probably going to try to take it to one of the festivals at the end of the summer. And so I'm writing another screenplay right now and there's another TV. Well, that, well then I, the exciting news is that is, you know, I always, I I partially wrote this book because I was like, you know what? I want to make this into a TV show also because no one's gotten magazines right on television and so i i just closed a deal with uh, a production company to write the pilot for dilettante so, so my cool. my hope is i mean it's an uphill battle getting a series going but i'm really excited so i'm going to write that pilot soon also so i'm so i'm going i'm going you know i'm going to i'm going to my my microsoft word is going to get a break and my my final draft pro is going to is going to be <laughs> a little busy for the next few months but I love I love screen screenwriting is so much fun and again that's one of those things where like until you find your voice and your style it's maddening and it's frustrating and then you find it and and you can tell you found it because people respond like like someone's like all right yeah I want to make this and you're like really so after my other 10 sucked (laughs) it's like this is finally but it really is just about like about like understanding how it works and doing your research and reading others and watching movies and 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 you know once you find that style it's sort of um it becomes exciting and fun amazing so that's it congratulations Very thank cool. you great seeing you after all these years i know Zibby, thank <laughs> you so much it's so it's such a small world it's so nice hearing that and and you were there that was like that was like oj simpson i mean that was like that summer because that was when the trial yes. was going it was on, before I, I left right before. before i left before oj because that was like an the fall you're right yeah it was i was on i don't know i was whitewater rafting during the oj thing so sometime okay. that summer so okay okay um, got it anyway. got it any um zibby thank you so much this was such a joy i hope you have a a lovely summer thank you you too okay take Take care care. Bye -bye. bye thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books don't forget to follow me on instagram at zibby owens and at moms don't have time to read books Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.